Welcome to the Glasgow Podcast. We are doing something a wee bit different this week. I thought I would do a compilation of the last 11 episodes that's been recorded. Um, Just some bits and bobs from each one, to be honest. I've kind of broke it down to how some of these companies started, what kind of challenges they they faced, what advice they would maybe give to anybody in the same position, Um, looking at how... They build their teams, their, their staff, etc. How they take people on, and obviously there's been some comedy old moments in the podcast as well. So I've put some of them in at the end. Um, as always, obviously, let me know your thoughts on the recording, and it contains a wee bit from everybody. So everybody that's been recorded so far is in there. Um, I may do some more of these. Obviously, depends how well this one goes down, but obviously. Hope you enjoy it and please let me know what you think. Thank you. Cheers. I started, I worked with a company called The Citizens Theatre in Glasgow. Okay. And I had literally finished a job with the six. I'll never forget it. It finished in like the, the 26th of June. So halfway through the run, I had been working with them for like, you know, a couple of months and I remember them saying, oh, so what's everyone get lined up? And I was like, shit, I don't know what I'm going to do next. So um, a few years previous to this, um, my friend and business partner um, for another business, um, now Katie, had set up a kid's talent agency. Mm-hmm. So I kind of felt myself like, you know, I was helping hard and then I was teaching and I was teaching other places and I thought, you know what, like, I'll just give it a go. So I phoned up my local council and I hired um, a gym hall that was like five minutes from my house. Right. And then I put it on Facebook, you know, like figured out a name, launched it, you know, thinking nothing of it. And then I started getting like abuse from people from like another side of the city because I used to teach at an area over there. And then I thought, oh, I need to kind of one up and like Bishop Briggs in. Mm-hmm. So one of my friends, Jade, um, owns an amazing dance school up there. And she was like, why don't you hire my studio? So rather than open one school, I kind of opened two before we had even started, which just, I was like, like you know, let's just try it. <laughs> so we opened Theatre School of Scotland Campus Lang and Theatre School of Scotland Glasgow North in the August. Um, so that was August 2017. I literally think I started with about, you know, 12 kids at each school and right. then just kind of grew it up and built it. And um, in 2018, I then... So I know a lot of people know this, but I actually used to have a real big boy job in between acting jobs. Um, <laughs> and I used to be the head of marketing for an this events firm. Right. It sounds really glamorous, you know, it was great, it was all these events and all of that. But the harsh reality of it was like, I actually had to graft and make this company so much money. So um, I was just like, you know, as time goes on, I was like, it's not for me, it's not fulfilling me, it's no it's no kind of where my passion lies. So very luckily enough for me, I had um, I'd saved up a lot of my acting money. I'd, you know, I was on a full-time salary and I decided overnight I was going to own a studio. So I literally went and viewed three or four different spaces and the one that now we call like our head office in Glasgow was like probably the worst looking at the time. But, you know, you just see something and you think, nah, I'm having that one. So yeah. couldn't afford it. Could literally, honest, when I say, I mean, was just like, yeah, that was right. that's fine, that's fine, that's fine, told the builders was agreeing to it. Um, and obviously then the harsh reality happened and I actually had to open and continue you know, to pay the bills <laughs> and pay the staff. Um, fast forward like three years, we now um, have outgrown this space and, you know, are looking at new spaces and we now were opened in another city. Um, and I can laugh about it, but at the time, a few years ago when I decided to open this, the idea came from just literally thinking, well, what am I going to do after this acting job? And it just kind of spiralled out of control. Um, Probably because, you know, I would prefer to work when other people are sleeping and yeah. anyone addicted to work, which is a problem. Um, but I think it just comes from, like, you know, there was a demand there. And when you see the results of, like, when, you know, one of your kids books a massive job or when even when a child who has no confidence suddenly starts believing in themselves, like, you know, it's totally worth it and all the stress and ag, can I just you forget about that and go, right, okay, let's open another one. Mm-hmm. So it's always good. She just said to me, listen, like, you're really, really overweight and you're going to kill yourself. You need to do something about it. Mm-hmm. 
And at the time, obviously, I speak about it in the documentary. I'm like, I, I was taken aback. You know what I mean? I was, I was a bit like, how, how dare you say that to yeah. me? Like, I was, I was embarrassed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's what that's more, more embarrassed. And it took a wee, probably took about six weeks after that, Gary, just to to realise what you know what what was actually happening in my life. That something had to give. Something mm-hmm. had to change. Um, and then I contacted Tony Pang. Right. Um, who was my, my PT before I used Tony about nine years ago. Mm-hmm. We lost about five stone together. Basically what happened then is I, I fell out with my ex, lost some weight, I think as most people do. Yeah. Um, just to kinda kinda show them, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um and it was all for the wrong reasons. I didn't really realise what I was doing other than no eating much and going to the gym a lot. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really realise and obviously over the years I, I put all the weight back on so I ended up heavier. But I went back in and seen Tony. And um, Tony was nothing but incredible with me. Um, and I was about six months into my journey, and people were asking me like what I was doing, how I was, how I'd lost so much weight so quick. And plus, I was looking well. It wasn't like you know you see people that lose weight, and you can tell that somebody's lost weight. Yeah, they look terrible. I it kind of wasn't yeah. like that with me. I looked healthy, mm. and I felt healthy, and I felt fit. So people were like, "Can I? What have you done?" I think people thought maybe I had surgery or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're like, what have you done? And I told them, I said, it's very simple. You can eat less, move a wee bit more. And mm-hmm. you know, all you need to do is kind of, you know, track your food, be accountable for what you're doing. And I was just explaining it to her. It was a girl in particular. And she's like, um, she came back to me after like two or three weeks. And she's like, my God, I've, I've lost, I think it was nearly a stone. Mm-hmm. She says, um, look, my sisters want you to like, talk to her. Yeah. And it, it kind of just went through there. Um, and then it was they asked me to train them, and I was like, "What the fuck?" Like, <laughs> people, people want me to train. I mean, I, at at that point, I still felt really out of shape myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I didn't feel comfortable because I think people's got this whole persona of what a PT should look like. Yeah, and it's like this guy or woman with you know abs and you know muscles growing and muscles in their legs, and I think because obviously people are so. So open to social media, this is what it looks like. This yeah. is what that's what a real life apparently an Instagram PT looks mm-hmm. like, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And ultimately that is me a PT, you know what I mean? Because when I first spoke to Tony about it, Tony I thought Tony was gonna laugh me at the gym. Yeah. Don't be so ridiculous, you know what I mean? You you can do that. And Tony Tony basically says, Go go and search five PTs in Glasgow mm-hmm. and go and look at them and go and look what shape they're in. He says PTs on the ingrate shape. Yeah. That's not a thing. So it was that whole mental stumbling block for me before I could possibly get started that I could actually take myself serious as it before mm-hmm. anybody else would take me serious, you know what I mean? Because what you've got to understand, and I speak about this a lot, is I've I, I bombarded myself with abuse for years mm-hmm. in terms of mental and physical and verbal, you know what I mean? Because I hated who I was. So I, I didn't believe that I, I had the ability to go and do that and change people's lives. Mm-hmm. And it was January 2000 and. 19 and it's just went mental for there to be honest obviously difficult because you've you've only been running a few months as you said but for for you what what have your kind of main highlights been or what of the the main kind of this is this is actually going to work for me. Main highlight is recently it was Nicky McDonald from the X Factor. He actually put a post on his Facebook with one of my hoodies on. Wow. And his Instagram, he's got like 180,000 followers or something. And I've got some massive feedback and I got loads of sales the next day after it as well. Someone actually tagged me in a video on Facebook and he was, I don't know if it was like a gathering or a social club, but he was singing on the karaoke with my hoodie on it. Oh, felt brilliant. And I used to cheer the wee guy on. <laughs> And have you had, I know you've had a, a few, obviously you've, you've had James English wearing your gear as well. Do you get a lot of sales off the back of that? Or do you get a wee bit more interest off the back of people wearing the stuff and tagging you? I do. If I think they've got a massive following like James English has, mm-hmm. I'm going to get a good feedback. If it's not going to cost me much to fire someone over a hoodie, but the feedback I'm going to get on it, they'll generate sales for me, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been doing that quite a lot. I've got a lot of football contacts as well. Yeah, that that's what I was going to ask. Obviously, we we having the the online presence just now. How do you market that from 
getting the brand out there? Do you get in touch with kind of influencers and things like that and offer them some stuff or what? What's the kind of process? I have, I have done that quite a few. I done it to Nicky McDonald. I done it to James English, but I know James English. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of my best mates was John Baird, who played for Rafe Rollers and Falkirk, quite a lot of Scottish football teams. Okay. He went on Rafe, Rafe Rollers TV, got it out there for me. Got a lot of following through that. And I've met footballers through John, like Brian Graham, who plays for Partick Thistle. Um, who else? Um, uh, my friend that passed, his cousin's actually engaged to Calvin Miller. He used to play for Celtic, so oh, right, he's okay. jumped on board. Another friend was connected to Bobby Petter, a football player, David Temple and from Rangers. A lot of football players, about six or seven. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't get me wrong, I've messaged people like Lewis Capaldi and I've just been patched, but I take it on the chin, don't you? you don't ask, you don't get. You know, sometimes it doesn't really come down to as much of, you know, how, how good you are from a scale of 1 to 10 of um, cutting hair. You know, sometimes it can really be you know, such a big kind of splitting business of you, can, you might not be the best barber, you know, but if you if you kind of make up the rest of that with amazing customer service, this kind of great relationship mm-hmm. and, and thriving and, and running the business kind of passionately, you know, I think you can take up take it all the way up to that kind of hundred uh, percent, which which really gives you that that boost, you know. But John um, John taught us so much. I feel like the last, you know, the last seven years that we've kind of been in business, we've learned so many um, really valuable lessons. Um, but I think that one, one, one bit of kind of advice that I would give to to anyone starting in starting in barbering, but probably in most businesses, mm-hmm. is probably preparing yourself for how much you really um, have to commit yourself mm-hmm. emotionally, um, mentally, physically into any business. You know, in and, and for no no doubt, you know, me and Eric put our blood, sweat and tears in, especially the first, like, first, second, third year, you know, me and Eric were working absolute crazy hours. Mm-hmm. But when you do get into that cycle of business and you start kind of thriving on it, you know, there's there's days that you go home, you've, you've went in at seven, you know, you've worked all the way through to half eight, nine at night, and normally you would come in in a bad mood if it was in our job, you would be like raging, you know, like, I hate this job, mm-hmm. I'm tired. But when you get into that cycle, it's the most rewarding feeling that you'll ever feel. So you'll go through that shift and you'll come home and you'll go, do you know what? What a day that was. Yeah. What a day, you know. It doesn't even matter about the money, you know, you've had lots of customers come through your doors and it's and it's worth it, you know, like, and as much as it comes with um, a lot of hardship and it's, and it's, it's tough, but when you get a win, you know, when you get that one win, mm-hmm. it's it, it makes all the other stuff go away. You know, it's bigger than the all the losses that you've had. That one win is worth it mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know. So as much as putting in all that hard work and, and effort, it's really difficult at the time. When you do get the rewards, it's bigger than anything else, you know, mm-hmm. and that's that's what makes that's what makes it worth it. Yeah, I was going to add into that mm-hmm. if, if I could. Yeah. Um, one, one bit of advice. Like I, I would I would give to someone is and, and someone told me this this bit of advice was if you think you're just gonna be a barber in a barber shop, that's all you'll be. So my, my advice to anyone out is look plan your progression. Right? If if you're just a barber shop in say the West End Glasgow, that's all you're ever gonna be. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the way me and Greg's vision is we don't want to just be a barber shop, we want to be multiple barbershops you want to grow bigger and, and, and stuff like that so one of the biggest things is, is is key is picking a location but grow from that location mm-hmm. sort of thing and I, I think that's one of the key things you've got to think I can't remember the exact saying what he said but it was something along the lines of if you think you're small you're just going to be small yeah. but if you think big then the, the world's your oyster you know you, you can't reach that at the top of the mountain sort of thing so Yeah, I, I think the the staff the staffing thing's such a that that's one of the hardest parts we've we've, we've had in business. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we've had some unbelievable staff. We've, we've had some some ones that don't work out, and and we've had everything from in between. Yeah. But it's it's very difficult to get people that are on the same wavelength as you and treat the business the same way as you do because it's not their baby, it's mm-hmm. ours. Yeah. Sort of thing. So, but it's trying to find the 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 person that's committed the most. Um, to, to you and your brand really mm-hmm. and, and reward them in the right way and, yeah. and reward them in the right way so that this is us moving forward now again through experience that the, the more the more years that, that we're gaining the more setbacks we get we, we just gain experience after every, every every time and it's just trying to invest your time and, and your knowledge to the, to the right type of person mm-hmm. but yeah we, we demand a lot from our staff we demand a lot, but everyone's got a purpose as well. Yeah. You know, and and in our shop, like there's some people that are really good at some things, and, and there's some people that are good at others, and, and it's trying to mould them all together as as one mm-hmm. sort of thing, and, and and that's where we're at really. That's that's where we're at with our staff. But yeah, we we demand a lot of from them. Mm-hmm. And see see on that, obviously, when you guys are, are looking to to bring people in, is there maybe standards that stick out for you guys that are really needed to come in or what are your kind of main qualities that you need from people to kind of get involved with your team and, and be a part of it? Yeah, I think um, I think for us, you know, one thing that we've we've always agreed on when when interviewing a, a potential staff member, it, it always comes down to attitude and, and mindset from them. Mm-hmm. You know, and and if someone comes in and they could, you know, we, we'll ask someone to bring in a model um, to do a haircut for us um, just so that we can kind of just really see where they are. Um, and if we have to if we have to train them in any any kind of different parts of our, our kind of skill set. Mm-hmm. But for me, you know, normally when someone comes in and sits in the seat, probably within the first two or three minutes, you know, if you're going to hire them or not. Yeah. You know, and, and, I, and, I, and I truly believe it's down to just having a, a really good attitude and someone that's opening open themselves up to learning more. You know, if, if someone comes in and says, you know, I've been cutting hair for five, six years, and you, you would maybe say, uh, are you still open to education? Do you still want to, you know, improve on your skill set? You know, and, and if someone says, no, I mean, I've been cutting hair for five years, like, I, I know what I'm doing, mm-hmm. you know, like, then the, 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 that that's that closed book, you know, they're, they're never going to want to take themselves any further. So, so normally, you know, someone sits down and says, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm still looking into learning. Every day is a school day. You know, you don't ever stop learning. That's that's a key point for us. As soon as, soon as someone says that, you know, normally we'll, we'll be like, right, okay, this guy's opening to learning and, and we would most likely hire them at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's probably our, our biggest thing is just attitude and mindset. And if we find that uh, within the first, uh, within the, the first interview, sorry, we we would normally hire a staff member from that point onwards. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you, obviously, you were I'd seen a couple of things online the other night about the kind of support that PTs have been giving each other through the last few months as well, which have been difficult for, for you guys because essentially you're, you're working for yourself at times. Um, if you were speaking to someone or if, if there's anybody listening who's maybe looking to, to start out as a PT or looking to run some classes, what advice would you give to somebody in that position from your own experiences? Do it. Just don't, don't hold back. Just, just go for it. You learn by doing. And if you hold back, you're just giving someone else a chance to take over. Mm-hmm. So just do it. Keep pushing. Keep working. There's so many of us that are a great network. So reach out to people. One thing I notice um, is certain PTs copy. And I always say, if, if you're copying another personal trainer, your followers and your clients don't see, see the real you. Mm-hmm. So put you out there. I know that I'm a bit sweary and blunt and a bit direct and people like that about mm-hmm. me. So when you're starting as a personal trainer, stay to you, stay your true self, your authentic self. And the right people will come to you. The right people will come to your classes and the right clients will follow in your direction. So just go for it. Don't hold back. Life is just too short to hold back. Get in there. 
get in a network with us all and just go for it. It'll be great. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably you. You get that approach which is refreshing and again it's probably a fear factor for a lot of people because I know people mm. that are in jobs and they hate it and they could easily oh, yeah. go somewhere else and, and absolutely smash it but it's just that kind of totally. oh, I don't want to walk away from this it's the whole unknown yeah. side of it but listening to you talk about that that's just what you're kind of dying to say to people but it's, it's got to be <laughs> in your own head do you know what I mean you've got to yeah. make that, that jump yourself definitely I talk, I talk to people every day for telling me that same thing you hate their job and you know, I've got grown men who are like, oh, trying to get back to the lunch break ends so they're not a minute over time so they don't get any trouble. Mm-hmm. I'm like, fucking hell, that's not, that's just not a way to live, man. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, this is a grown man that's telling me this. Someone's giving me a trouble for being a minute late over your lunch. It's the whole system's broken, man. Ah, oh, it's crazy. Um, and yeah, people come me all the time and people, especially people, young guys who finish uni and say that they've done like, okay, I've done four years of uni, but I hate it. They're like, I may as well do it now to spend four years on it. Four years is like, so like forgettable in the grand scheme of your life. Yeah. Four years is, is absolutely nothing at all. I've been doing this as, as, as I said, eighteen years. I may not be doing this forever. Mm-hmm. I might chuck it next year. I might chuck it in ten years, and maybe I will do it forever. Who knows? Yeah. But I've got, if I if I've been doing this forty years, and I decide to chuck it and do something else, I've got no fear of that. Mm-hmm. Because I feel if you can do something once to be successful at it, you can do it in multiple things. Even in everyday life, I mean, people probably come in here and see me standing at the reception or, you know, I'll walk in and see, like, the success of what's happening in the business. But, you know, 20 minutes before we open, I could almost guarantee you that I'm the one with my hands to my toilet complaining that somebody's not cleaned the toilet, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that when you speak to everybody that owns a business is when you're passionate about something, then it comes across, you know, everybody. I, I think when you, in life, you know, if you want to get up and come to an office every day and you know that's fine mm-hmm. but for me like i would much prefer that you know i'm i'm inspired by watching other people there's so many other people out there you know no in my industry that are in my industry that you actually watch them and you think when do they sleep yeah like and you're just like that that's something that i, I find inspiring mm-hmm. and you know no doubt in five ten years time somebody will come along in my industry and i'll go wow here they're good at what they do but um, I think, as you said, it's like, you know, there's, there's so many inspiring people out there that, you know, it's, you, really need to, you really need to surround yourself with the right people and you really need to watch who you're following and who you're giving time. Like, um, I think there's, a, there's so many great books that say this, but, like, you know, the people you spend your life with now and the books you read are the person you're going to be in five years' time. Yeah. So, and I'm a firm believer of that. Like, you know, there's no point in sitting watching Netflix for three hours in a week uh, or three hours a night you know, unless you want to really analyse the acting, and, you know, maybe be an actor, and I will tell some of my students, like, you know, go and watch good TV shows, but yeah. um, I think it's just about finding that time for yourself, and, you know, switching off and growing. you doing all that to then coming to the point of starting up for yourself doing obviously the, the K9 way what what kind of main challenges did you find getting it off the ground initially because it's obviously it's quite a a niche kind of specialist market as well to, to get involved in but what, what were your kind of challenges trying to get everything moving the the biggest challenge is is getting people to put their faith in you know people are paying you know, it's dog training's not cheap. That's mm-hmm. the, that's the one thing that I fully understand and done a lot of research into before I started. I was very keen to make sure it was affordable for mm-hmm. for, for everybody. You know, there's some people that it's very it's a very expensive thing. Like you say, it's a niche trade. You know, no any if anybody everybody could do it, then there wouldn't be a need for it. So yeah. the one thing was getting people to put that trust in you to invest their hard earned money mm-hmm. into into your trust to fix their dog. And at the end of the day dogs are part of people's families mm-hmm. you know these aren't just oh my car's broke down stick it in that garage he's the cheapest it's, yeah 
this is my this is my family pet. The people treat their dogs like kids. You know, some people don't have children, and the dog is very much the centre point of the of the family. Mm-hmm. So the, the biggest challenge I would say is getting people to invest in this brand new company. It's just popped up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. To invest their money in your in your trust, in their trust, sorry, and getting you to fix their problem. But like I said before as well, I was fortunate that in terms of challenges, that was probably the biggest one. I never had the risk that a lot of other people have. Yeah, I never had, and and also there was I didn't have any overheads. You know, I I train in, trained in public parks, mm-hmm. trained in open areas, open fields, etc. So I never had the the worry of investing money into. A facility or anything like that. It really was minimal. So I was, as I say, I've been very, very fortunate in terms of challenges and and risks of starting my business. Mm-hmm. And did but you? I think that I think the trusting for people was big. I think that's probably the biggest challenge that anybody will face. So mm-hmm. in terms of that, it was that was the biggest thing. Yeah. For you, obviously, for for that period that you've been doing it, I'm I'm hoping you've got some from eighteen years. But is there any kind of highlights for you, or any kind of do you know what I'm I'm fucking good at this job? Was there anything that uh, really stuck out for you? Um, I don't know. I think when I just one one we're closing my diary was a massive a massive thing. I never thought I'd be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, because especially when I when I was when I was a hairdresser, I I really could not build a clientele at all. I was hopeless at it. And I, I don't think it was in my ability. I think it was in my personality. It just didn't really, it didn't work in that environment. Yeah. As soon as I moved into barbering, like, it just it just fit for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. So I never ever thought, and I was actually told by an old boss, I would never ever ever be able to build a clientele. And I guess that stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Because I just kind of, you know, drove me on to actually to actually do it. You tell me I can't do something, I'm going to go in and try and do it every time. And did they did they give you a reason why, or was there any kind of chat around it, or? Yeah, just they just said it was my attitude. Uh, that there wasn't too much chat around it. They just said they just said I wasn't someone that could do it. Mm-hmm. They they always they, they did say to me how like how good they thought I was, and I'd probably been more, you know, better on the stage or something and doing that sort of kind of more kind of editorial sort of work or mm-hmm. session work yeah. uh, doing here, which I, I did do uh, for a couple of years there. Um, but I, it just wasn't for me either. To be honest with you, I didn't really join the whole politics of it all. Maybe not using the word inspiration at the time, but when I was when I was younger, when I was fifteen, um, just about to, I get kicked out of school. But just before I get kicked out of school, um, there was a a teacher who basically just had a, a wee kind of mean dig at me, mm-hmm. and then um, pulled me out of the class one day because I was maybe you know farting about, and uh, uh, he said to me, "What are you doing?" He says, "What are you doing with your life?" You know, like and I had one of these chats with me, and I thought it would have been a um, a heart to heart and he would have kind of helped me out but I just basically told them you know I want to leave school I want to get this job um, I want to get a job blah 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 and he said to me um, he says you'll never amount to nothing and, he, and then I says what do you mean he says the way that you are blah 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 um, you're not going anywhere in your life mm-hmm. so you know I, straight away when he said that to me um, at the time I was still a cocky shit you know I was 15 <laughs> And loved answering back, you know, and my response to him at the time was, do you know what? I says, that's a lie. I says, because I will be successful. And I says, see when I've got my Bentley in a few years' time, I says, I'm going to pull in this car park and see you on your lunch break. And I'll honk the horn and give you a wee wave. And he went, are you do that? And I says, I won't do that. <laughs> so, you know, so I went back into the classroom after that. And then a few days later, um, my guidance teacher decided to kick me out of school. Um, so that was my first... You know, and when I think about it now, maybe not the time, but that was my first bit of fire in the belly mm-hmm. to be successful in general in, in life, you know, like so I could maybe say that was my first kind of early inspiration. Um my my mum was a you know, self employed um woman who done multiple jobs uh, and was always my first kind of business inspiration and um, watching kind of where she came from from nothing to, you know, providing for the house and, and doing all this stuff by 
multiple businesses, mm-hmm. uh, just like really small businesses. Um, so for the kind of business point and the self-employment always came from my mother. And it was hard that actually introduced me to uh, John Hanna. So when I was maybe a week after I got kicked out of school, mm-hmm. my mum said to me, she says, um, right, so what are you going to do about it? What, what do you want to do? And I says, well, I want to do my own business. You know, I says, I want to do a job where I can do my own business. You know, so I want to do what, what you do. And uh, so she says, right, well, I'm going to take you and see someone. So she took me to see John Hanna, who ran, at the time, I think he had six barber shops. Right. Took me to see John, took a wee notepad and pen, and just basically just noted down all the wee bits of advice that, that he could give me. Um, and, and, you know, John was like this, especially when you're younger, you know, he comes in, he looked like um, Brick Top from Snatch, nice. which gives you a kind of, he, he had this old school gangster kind of image about him, you know, the big long coat, the long grey hair, the mm-hmm. glasses, you know, like really cool guy. And uh, straight away he said to me, um, have you ever thought about doing barbering? And I says, no. And he says, well, he says, I've actually got a slot owned up for an apprenticeship. He says, if you want to apply, you can apply. Mm-hmm. So I ended up applying and then started working um, for, for John and that's how we kind of got started with Victoria Barbers. And, uh, you know, but that was a big inspiration sitting there and my mum my said to me, you know, what's the one question you want to ask John? And I says, are you a millionaire? You know, that was my question. <laughs> are you a millionaire? No, no, totally, but I wanted to know, you know, yeah. at the time I was like, that's the one question. And he just looked at me and says, yeah, and you can be one too. And so as soon as he said that, that was that, especially at 15, you know, yeah. like that, that was when my heart started going, I started sweating, you know, I was like, <laughs> wow, this is, this is wild, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so John was always a, a big inspiration, you know, like a really big inspiration. My mother was, my, uh, and then my, my maths teacher at the time was my first, um, my first kind of little, little bit of fire in the belly. Mm-hmm. The kind of the, almost the, the game changer, I would call it, um, would be Box Fresh Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris had approached myself about doing originally just just one piece. Yeah. Although I think he had thought about doing doing other bits initially, mm-hmm. um, and uh, started doing his his wee bit. Uh, it was a biggest smalls with uh, it was all a dream kind of quoted next to it um, with his logo on. Uh, ah, right, okay. jumper. Yeah. So we'd sent him like a couple of uh, like kind of in in process pictures, mm-hmm. and he was kind of like, "Well, that's better than I, I thought it was going to be," mm-hmm. kind of thing. So he hit me with another couple of ideas. One of which was the uh, Chicago Bulls uh, from the from the Last Dance. It was. Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen, and Michael Jordan. Yep. But instead of the bills or the names on the the, the vests, he was wanting box fresh Glasgow across oh, them. Okay. Yep. Which was something a wee bit different again, and mm-hmm. uh, hadn't ever done. Uh, you know, so, well, actually, I had done. I I done a, a, a Kobe Bryant and a LeBron James years and years ago, but okay. it was something different to what I had been getting asked to do so he actually picked the stuff up the other day um, but when he had seen the stuff he posted it on his page and it was it was it was quite mad you know the followers started bumping up the people just scrolling through my page liking things from you know months ago whatever mm-hmm. and yeah uh, the advice that he had has given me and still has given me has, has been absolutely brilliant you know some of the stuff it was why didn't I think of that like it was quite obvious yeah um, but some of the other stuff you know he's he's really been he's he's went over and beyond mm-hmm. uh, really helped me out with uh, the whole kind of social media thing yeah um, because for a while I just I wasn't really doing much with it mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's why maybe like you go through wee phases where the interest isn't always as high as it is. Yeah. Like currently. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's you know, I'm getting daily messages and it's 
it's because I'm posting daily and I'm I'm doing more with the social media stuff. So uh, the advice that he's gave me has been, been amazing. I suppose the thing, the first thing I was wanting to know is where it all kind of started from, where the idea came from, mate. Um, this is a, it's a saga story, but I'll <laughs> basically start from the beginning. So I used to manage an amateur football team called Mary Hill Blackstar. Right. Uh, and we would back, as usual, we'd go back to the pub after every game. So one game we went back and one of the boys who played for me, a boy Mark Wilson, mm -hmm. he's, a, he's a sneakerhead, total addict. Um, and he, we were sitting at the table and he says, somebody passed me the, the bottle of tomato sauce. Um, so he passed it over and he had a pair of white hirachis on, brand new, out of the box. Right. And he just poured the tomato sauce all over the shoes. And obviously the sauce is kind of slid right off. So I was like mesmerised by that. Like, what's happened here? And this was basically the start when like Jason Mark, um, Crep Protect and all these kind of brands were mm. all kind of um, being, like, sort of coming out and being mainstream. You were seeing them a lot in a lot of the shops. Mm -hmm. So he was explaining that uh, he'd bought all this stuff and he was cleaning his shoes and he'd put this spray on and it meant that um, if he spilled anything on it, it just ran off. So I was totally hooked on it. Um, after that, went straight out, got all the stuff um, and it just became a hobby. So I, I was always into buying trainers as well. Uh -huh. um, and every Sunday I would just go and I'd get my own shoes and I'd just spend the day just cleaning whatever I'd wore that week, just getting them up to standard again so they're looking new, putting them back in the wardrobe and then just, you, just rotating them as the mm. days went on. Um, so it kind of built from there. As I say, it was just a hobby for, not so much a hobby, but it was just something I did for probably about four or five years. Mm -hmm. um, but then I was at a stage in my job, I was just kind of, it was nine to five, I was just getting getting itchy feet. Um, I've always been on the go, I've always had other hobbies and stuff that I've done, and it, I was at a time where I just never had anything on the go. Mm -hmm. um, and I was looking for a, basically a side hustle, if you like. Um, but this was a, about three years ago. I spoke to three people who totally flipped my mindset of like, the 9 to 5. Right. Um, I went and bought a car from, I told you this was a saga by the way, this story. <laughs> Sorry. But, uh, I went to Arnold Clark in Linwood and I bought a car. Oh, I got talking to one of the salesmen and straight away I was sucked in. But you know what, you, you, get, you get car salesmen that you just, you, you know what it's like. You're, yeah. you're just watching away the car. But yeah. this guy knew stuff. He was proper, a proper salesman. Um, and he actually, he actually gave, he gave a shit about what what he was trying to sell me as well. Mm -hmm. So he was he sat down, he was telling me that he was the most successful car salesman in Arnold Clark year on year. Right. And uh, he actually was, he was showing me figures and stuff, no figures, but he was showing me numbers and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was dead impressive. So that hour, he was just basically telling me how to be a salesman. Um, and he had big ideas about potentially training other people in that. So I was just mesmerised by this guy. I thought, this is magic. Yeah. Bought the car off him, totally sold it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, but when I went back to collect it, we had the same conversation. Because um, I was interested to know more about his sales, how he does it, blah, blah, blah. So mm. that went on for a while. Um, about the same time, within about a week, I was speaking to somebody else who told me about, uh, she was ma she made a Christmas Eve box for a pal, so it had like kids' pyjamas, um, hot chocolates, like reindeer dust, all these kind of yeah. things, and presented it, packaged it up. And one of her pals says, you should put that on Instagram and sell them. Mm -hmm. And she did, and she made an absolute fortune off it just in like the month before Christmas, paid off her whole Christmas. And I was like, that's a, that is a brilliant idea. And she was just explaining like the power of social media, mm -hmm. how one post, how far that can travel. And at that point, I had my own uh, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter and stuff, but yeah. I just used that for my own stuff. So it wasn't really, I never knew how to, how to business your social media, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and another another random conversation I had was with a, a guy who owns a sweetie company, but he does it from his own house. Right. So my cousin, her cousin had asked me to go and collect sweets from him mm -hmm. for a wee boy's birthday party. And when I went to the house, he had this big shed, but oh, it was a big hut, it was in a shed. Out the back, it was huge, all refrigerated and stuff, or insulated, sorry, with all these sweets in it. And he was telling me about his business. So then I was just like, there's so much more to the world than doing a nine to five get your pension at the end of it and basically you die and, that, and that's it. Do you yeah, know what I mean? You turn up yeah. you work. I'm not criticising anybody that does that because I've done it myself for since I was I left school. But mm -hmm. I think there's a big world out there if you and if you've got if you've got it in you to go and generate an income for yourself, then then go and do it. So that that totally flipped my mindset.
Um, and then the next significant jump, probably, I don't even know if it was a year later, maybe less, um, out of the blue one day, I was again, I was out with the family, and I got a message from James Tavernier, the Rangers captain. Right. Um, and he basically said, hi, mate, I've got some shoes. Would you be able to do work for us? Um, and I was obviously dead chuffed. Somebody of that, somebody with a blue tick, basically, yeah, had, had got in touch with us. I was like, he's got a, a massive following. I was like, of course, we'd be delighted to do work for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'd done his shoes. He was really happy. And then he posted them on his social media, and it just blew up. Blew up. But that, that I'm leaving... Like afraid to say it, but that moment changed my family's life totally. Yeah. Um. That that totally legitimised our business and gave it a a platform basically. Um. For other people, all of a sudden, then other football players are following us, and um, loads of other people. Like we just we're still getting uh, bookings where people say we'll ask where did you hear about us, and mm-hmm. they'll still say tabs tabs Instagram. Yeah. And I'm like, that's probably over two years ago, so it was huge for us. Um, and it really drove us on, and then that that then made me. I, I was like, I need to level up here. Mm-hmm. We need to take this to the next level. So I knew then we're getting significant business in. Things are going to need to change. Like I'm going to do this full time, or do I keep doing what I'm doing? But I I, I kept. I I done two. Like the, I done both of them um, for ages. Actually, I, I only gave up my job. In fact, it was exactly a year ago, um, and I was still doing both, and it was just. It gets to a stage where it takes its toll, and then I yeah, had to make a definitely. decision. And it was like, no, it's it's one or the other here. And then obviously, I, I couldn't I couldn't couldn't give this up. This is my baby. Do you know what I mean? This mm-hmm. is like pushed it on this far. You're like, how far can we take this? Let's see and give it a go. So. Yeah. For you, if you are to create a create one of your meals, and you can. Give me pick four guests to make it for. Oh can my be, god! Can be, can be anybody, <laughs> anybody you like, and and the reason why. Oh my god! This is right in the spot. Four meals for anyone. <laughs> oh mate! <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're me. Maybe <laughs> 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 just one. I can't think of one. You want me to name four? <laughs> uh, oh, can you pause this? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Right. Who would I want at the table? Wait, I don't know. You've absolutely stung me here. Okay, we'll, we'll change it to two. I'll give you two. We'll change it to two, right? Two. Oh. <laughs> there's, so, there's, there's, there's almost like so many, and then there's none. I just can't. <laughs> I've totally drawn a blank, man. Um, I feel like we we'll see something stupid and go back. Like, Why the fuck did I say that? I'll never affect them. I fucking hate them. <laughs> oh. Oh, so let's so let's fuck it. Let's just go with the Queen and Adolf Hitler. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'd be some fatter, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, what a night! What are you what are, what are you making them? <laughs> uh, oh, what are we gonna make them? Mm. What are we gonna make them? I'm gonna go with the the vegan haggis recipe that I put up the other night. You can check it on my Instagram. So vegan haggis, the Queen and Adolf Hitler. There nice. we go. What a, what a vision. What a vision that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, to be honest, I've actually only just started like this full time mm-hmm. in the last uh, two days actually mm-hmm. um, I've been doing it alongside of working my full time job okay. um, and I, I, to be honest I never thought it would go anywhere I just thought like it's a wee hobby and you know if like people want to like give me some money for some cakes like it's a wee bit of extra money for me like I didn't think much of it mm-hmm. let alone did I ever think I would be able to walk away from my full time job um, so I guess that's probably the obstacle because there's just there's not enough time in the day mm-hmm. um, I found that I was like I would get up at six in the morning I would bake until I started my normal job at half eight and then I would do my job and then I come home and then from half four to like half ten I'd be baking all night um, so and I think just probably the like a fear of it like oh like why would people want to buy cakes for me? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's like probably my own personal like perception of myself. I'm like, why would people want to buy cakes for me? Like, what? Uh, do you still me. have that now as well? Uh, to an extent, yeah. I think like it slowly is going away, but I think it's it's just it's bonkers to me that 
I can now do this as my full-time job and I can like earn a living doing something that I'm so passionate about Mm -hmm. and love so much like it's absolutely bizarre like I've got nearly 12,000 followers on Instagram and like that's like mind-blowing to me I'm like I never thought I would even have like 100 followers let alone that many I'm like (laughs) it's just like absolutely ridiculous and someone recognized me the other day and I was out for dinner and I was like what is happening like what is my life right now (laughs) (laughs) it was so bonkers I'm trying to think as well, like don't don't be shy in asking people for stuff. Like if you if you need a favour or something like that, then somebody says to me, the shy sweetie never get any wins. Eh, no, the shy <laughs> the shy wane never get any sweeties. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> location is in Seattle Square mm-hmm. so you're a wee bit off the beaten track mm-hmm. there's so many makeup artists and studios just in Glasgow city centre alone mm-hmm. what makes Face stand out from the others oh. what do you think gets you the edge over your rivals? So for us as a brand um, I always wanted it to be very very versatile so not only can we do so many different looks we can yeah. range from like your natural so kind of more soft glam to we can go to the extremes to doing like your like very glam to drag yeah. makeup um my members of staff like we've got so many different like girls and boys that work in here mm-hmm. um so i feel and they're all so different yeah that they all bring different kind of people to the place yeah, if that just, makes sense yeah uh, so like you know we've got like we've got loads of hi it's just like loads of different types of people that mm-hmm. come in um and the, the main thing is to make people feel welcome if they have a good first experience and they're going to come back yeah but again i believe in like equality so mm-hmm. we don't like rule out any like we like gender yeah. or anything like that yeah. so we have like a lot of, like because i think a lot of probably a lot of the makeup places the it is just basically like female oriented whereas we have a lot of male clients Mm -hmm. as well um a lot of trans clients a lot of like drag queens and that Mm -hmm. come in so i think that kind of brings a bit of like a bit of different sort of thing to the table um to be honest with you though um all my members of staff are so talented but the work that they produce is so different like if you were to say to them do your own like look Mm -hmm. everyone their signature looks would be different so you can come in here and pick and choose an artist yeah. whereas most people have like most um like makeup studios maybe have just like the kind of one style that go by and there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that yeah but just because there's nine of us that work on a saturday yeah. doing makeup so you've got a, a really good yeah. choice as well mm-hmm. um plus all the staff are mad and we've got the best partner so why would you not want to come to us <laughs> <laughs> i think that's the thing as well because even when you look on the instagram page mm-hmm. you couldn't really pick out a one style no because there is so many different yeah, things There's... and that's that's what i like though because yeah. i i mean for me personally like see mm-hmm. my friend group like mm-hmm. my close friend group yeah we're all so different we're mm-hmm. all chalk and cheese yeah. like and we're all at different stages of life mm-hmm. right so like my sister she's always like kind of funky most time got like colorful hair so she yeah. likes when she goes out to have like a bright colorful look mm-hmm. on her eyes yeah whereas I I hate colours in my eyes. Yeah. Like I like going a lot softer. Right. Um, just getting older, so I think I need to tone it down <laughs> a little bit. So that's like I would prefer like a kind of softer mm-hmm. glam. Whereas I've got like mother friends who's like a mum who likes something really quite natural. Yeah. So it's just bringing something so it's like so versatile that I yeah. can like have something. Like you know what yeah. I mean? Like you can go there and be like, right, okay, we're not all going to look the same mm-hmm. when we leave here. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's just personal preference what you what you like. anyone I suppose you've spoken to what, what's the kind of best bit of advice you've been given in, in respect of kind of going out for yourself and, and making that jump I don't know probably just to go for it to be quite honest like again that's probably a really shy answer um, <laughs> but I think that 
I can't I, like I wish I did this sooner I'll, like things stood in my way in terms of like moving house because I wanted to get my mortgage sorted mm-hmm. um and like kind of getting to a point where I was like right can I like am I able to walk away from my job um but I think just yeah like give it a shot I think see now I know it's only been two days but see the last kind of week in my job and just these last two days I felt so much happier mm-hmm. and just like almost like a sense of calms kind of come over me where I'm just like I'll source it like I'll get everything done it's fine like you know like what's the worst that can happen like I don't finish a cake in time or I have to stay up a bit later to do a cake or like like I can it's a cake I can fix it yeah like there's nothing really that could go that wrong and I think I if you'd asked me this two weeks ago I would have been like I've given you a very different answer Mm um we just now I'm like it's clear that this is my passion and it's clear it's what makes me happy because I can see such a shift in myself just from two days of going into doing this full time Mm -hmm. and so I think like if there's if you're unhappy in a job like you don't have to stay in that job and like it sounds probably really like cliche like coming from me and I think um if any of my old work colleagues listen to this (laughs) they'd be like what um (laughs) but um I think like I stayed in a job for so long that I was so unhappy with just because like if I'm totally honest it was it was down to money mm-hmm. um and but I think money is not the be all and end all yeah. like obviously if you you can make a decent living and you know you can do the things that you want to do outside of work that make you happy and stuff like that like I don't want to be worrying about bills and things but mm-hmm. um I think like I just resided myself to the fact that like that's what it was like you know you did your job most people didn't really like their jobs and but you did it because that's what you have to do mm-hmm. um but now I'm doing this like I am still earning a decent living however I'm just so much like happier just in the last couple of days like I can notice a huge change in myself and I think that like what is the worst that's going to happen yeah you'll probably speak to a lot of girls like this and guys as well who will see what you do and yep. think I want to start something like that Yeah. if you were to speak to a young guy or a young girl 17, 18 wanting to start a business like this what advice would you give them? go for it, just do it right, the thing that I probably regret when I was younger was caring what people thought mm-hmm. right, you'd you can't go by that. You just need to, you just need to put everybody's thoughts aside. Don't care. At the end of the day, you've only got one person to rely on your whole life and that's yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you don't know until you try. Yeah. Things can work, things can fail. Like I've had an experience with that not that long ago, just last year. Opened up a face in Aberdeen through one reason or another we had to well we didn't have to shut it I chose to shut it close it even Um, but now that I've done that on reflection don't get me wrong it's been hard I've had to pick myself back up I've had to you know I had I'd spent all my savings I had to move back home but now like on reflection back at that I've learned so many lessons and everything happens for a reason like now I know that I don't want a business in Aberdeen I I, I want to focus on Glasgow I want to make this bigger I I might expand somewhere else but Mm -hmm. that's not the city for me do you know what I mean so there's there's lots of things you can take but for young people starting off um don't do something you're half arsed about Mm -hmm. right you need to put your heart and soul in it you need to make sure that's what your main focus is mm-hmm. because you won't get anywhere in life if it's not yeah. um i've just recently like don't get me wrong i've been doing eyebrows now for six years mm-hmm. and as much as i love my job um and i do i do i do love it but i think quite a lot of the aspect of my job that i love is meeting people and yeah. talking to people yeah. so i'm one of these people i always need to challenge myself so recently i've actually just started a nail course right and that's completely nothing to do with face, right? Mm-hmm. But I need a challenge for myself because yeah. I'm like, I can't get bored. So now I'm kind of looking into, you know, I want, I'll be doing nails here initially, but it won't be nails at face because that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Pure 
face and hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm going to try and make that a different name and put right. it in face so it's like a brand within a brand right, okay. and see how I can venture off from that. Right. But I need to put my heart and soul into this. Yeah. Nothing will work unless unless I'm doing my best and yeah. trying my best. So I don't know until I try, is basically yeah. what I'm saying. So mm-hmm. for younger people, I just go for it. Like, don't care what other people think and don't compare yourself to MD. Mm-hmm. That's the hardest point because especially with social media these days especially like you'll go on instagram and you'll look at people and you'll go oh my god look what they're doing and all that and but you can't you need to remember that people only put up what they want people to see Mm -hmm. they're not showing you know the blood sweat the tears the hard graft or anything like that and is like so that i think people just think it's easy enough just to set up and it's going to work no you need to work your arse off Mm -hmm. you need to just keep at it keep going there will be hard times but as long as you know that the hard times aren't going to last it you just keep pushing through then it Mm -hmm. it will work yeah um inspirational chat there (laughs) do it just do it no focus And I think, like, you know, I I will say this now, like, you know, since we opened in 2017, I could probably count on one hand how many days I took off because, mm-hmm. purely because I read a book years ago, another book, fact, but, um, and it was like, you know, every time you take that day off, that other guy, he wins. And it's something that I'm just like, nah, yeah. I'd rather just, you know, don't get me wrong, I'll still go out, I'll still enjoy myself, I'll still have great nights out, but mm-hmm. I, I've worked every Sunday since I opened in 2017 and I will continue to do so until I probably canny drive here that my legs are that old because <laughs> I just think you know everybody can go to the start of the night enjoy themselves and you know go for a, go for a nice dinner and go for drinks but mm-hmm. I just don't see the point in wasting a day lying in your bed and feeling sorry for yourself so um, I'm a firm believer of you know get up and get it done Ask him how many times it took him to pass his driving test. So it's over um, to you, mate. It's over to you. So um, I'll keep you. I'll keep this one for a bit of patter for everyone. <laughs> uh, it's a life lesson. I teach all my kids this. I say if this is if anybody's going to know it about me, this is the best story you'll know. <laughs> um, I started my driving lessons when I was seventeen. Right. Um, did a couple of lessons. I probably went through more driving instructors than what people have sought in, I'll just put it that way, right? So, every driving instructor I had, I had a problem with them. It's not that, like, I was a problem or they were a problem, but <laughs> you need to connect with somebody to work with them. Yeah. And, so I probably had seven driving instructors. I did three intense courses, you know, those intense guarantee to pass things. Yeah, you've got to wait for, like, a week. You know where it actually says, we guarantee you to pass. <laughs> right. Bullshit. They don't guarantee you to pass because you can still fail. <laughs> so um, I sat my driving test nine times before I passed. Wow. So um, first couple of times, you know, was terrible. Thought I was Jack the Lad in the road. Try to cut through roundabouts and all that. Try to turn the radio up. Could, you know, thought I could run before I could walk. Then went into like complete paranoia mode where I was like scared to put the indicator on because I didn't know if it was the right thing to do. Right. Um, and then I moved test centre. Um, then one test, I um, got driven back to the test centre and was told I was not allowed back for three months because it was dangerous driving because I reversed around the corner. And I don't know if they still do that, I test me, but they made me reverse around the corner. Right. And this woman was coming out our, our driveway with a pram, so I stopped puts the window down and she was like on you go son I continued to start going right. and then she starts ramming the way in the tram out in front of the car <laughs> so he slammed in the brakes and I was like what are you doing I was like she just told me to go and she was shouting you're a maniac <laughs> so um, I was driven back to Baylor's and test centre and advised not to come back for three months um, then you know a couple of things like driving in bus lanes on the test and then <laughs> eventually on my ninth uh, it was actually I don't know if my ninth it was my ninth test um, don't know how, but uh, they let me pass. So um, I had a car for about three weeks, and then I had got an automatic, and I think that saved my life. To be quite honest with you, because I think doing the gears and all that was just a wee bit too much. You know, it was. And if anybody knows me, you know, I'm probably trying to do three things at once. So um, 
really driving wasn't for me, but um, <laughs> I can now drive. I'm now a confident driver, probably too confident, people would say. Um, but I nine times to pass the driving test. If it teaches you anything, it's uh, don't give up and don't listen to what the DVLA has got to tell you because <laughs> you know, if I encourage you not to drive, then just keep going. Love that. I love that. Nine I think times. it took me about, honestly, seven grand in lessons in about five years, but I passed. So a costly lesson there. Three and a half years or something it took me to pass my driving test and nine tests. 